So have you ever had that dream where you show up to school and you go to class and you realize there's a test and then you're thinking, wait a minute, I've never been to this class before, but there's a test. Anybody have that dream? Yeah, so I've been a professor for 14 years now, and I still have that dream recurring. Like, it's, so it's, it's sort of, I think it's normal, there's some sort of anxiety there. So um, just to double down on that anxiety, that's kind of what I'm going to do to you today. There's a test. We've been talking for the last eight weeks or so about Jesus fulfilling various things. In the, bo- in the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about Jesus being the fulfillment of certain things. And so I'm going to sort of wrap a big bow on it and make sure that you remember all the things that we've talked about up to this point. Um, and uh, there will be a test. So um, the idea is, uh, I, as I was looking at this particular verse in Matthew 5, we've sort of been, been centered in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And this is uh, one passage kind of at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when he, right before he launches into a, a big long list of laws that he sort of flips on their head and sort of gives us a new perspective on them. He says this, Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. And the connection just got lost. Um, but uh, instead, I have come to fulfill them. And we've been talking about Jesus fulfilling all these things, and, and so what does it mean that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets? So I want to talk a little bit of theology today, but hopefully it'll be interesting enough that uh, you'll stay awake and you'll pass the test when we get to the end of all this. I'm kidding. There's not really going to be a test. Some of you guys are really nervous about that. All right, so we're going to talk about law and prophets. We have to start with law. All right, because that gets talked about a lot. Jesus mentioned the law and the prophets. Well, what's the deal with the prophets? We're going to talk about that in a second. The prophets sort of come out of that. But before we talk about the law, we have to talk about something that, come, that came before the law, and that is the covenant. Jesus also says that he is the new covenant. So we're going to talk about how Jesus fulfills the covenant how Jesus fulfills the law, and how Jesus fulfills the prophets, and kind of wraps it all up really neatly. And most importantly, what that means for us today, right? So I don't want this to be like abstract theology. Um, I want it to be something that that actually uh, can be applicable. So I want to start with um, whatever I have next on the slides, because I have no idea. Covenant, yeah, that's what we're starting with. So we're going to start with talking about the covenant, and the idea that there was this agreement between God and an Old Testament character named Abraham. And actually, when the covenant happened, his name was Abram. So that's kind of what you'll see here. So I've just kind of put some refresher points up here about what is the covenant. We talk about covenant here sometimes, and I just want to make sure everybody's clear about what we mean. So here's the story in a nutshell. God came to this guy named Abram, and he says, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make a a deal with you, a, a mutual promise. And that is that I will be your God, that I will be yours, I will protect you, I will guide you, uh, and you will be my, and all, all of your descendants will be my people, and I will bless you with numerous descendants, okay? So this was, this was the, the covenant that was made between God and Abraham, and we read about this in Genesis chapters 15, 17, and 22. And actually this, this covenant extended not only to Abraham's descendants, but to the entire world. There's one passage where God says to Abram, he says that uh, not only will I bless you, 
and your offspring, but, but your seed will actually be a blessing to the entire world. And we read that through the lens of Jesus and understand that to be Jesus is that seed of Abraham that has blessed the whole world, has opened up the covenant to all, all people. So the second thing I wanted to say about this is just to give you a little bit of an idea about what covenants were like in the ancient Near East. So this is a time in history when, um, you know, making contracts and deals was sort of new. And, uh, you know, there, it wasn't like you could go down to the notary public and, and sign a document and everything was good. So you, you made these covenants. And sometimes they were between superior and inferior parties. Sometimes they were between equal parties. But typically a covenant was some sort of a mutually beneficial pact between two groups. So, for example, if there were two... Uh, two family units or two tribes that felt like they were in danger from somebody and they wanted to like protect themselves, they could join together. They could create a covenant and say, listen, everything we have in my family, all of my resources belong to you and everything in your family and all your resources belong to us. We share them, we join together and we even combine our names together in this sort of uh, uh, compound name of, of a tribe and then we, we gain strength and we can defend ourselves and, and do what the things we need to do, right? So again, this is a, 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 a culture and a time when there wasn't a lot of government oversight of things, right? Sort of like, you know, the strongest wins. So these pacts, these, these covenants were a fairly common thing in the ancient Near East. So when we look at Abraham and God making a covenant, it's really fascinating to think about God saying, I will give you, Abram, a new name, Abraham, Anybody want, have, you, have you ever wondered that? He goes from Abram to Abraham. And the letter that was inserted is actually the letter from the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. So there's a joining of names between Abram and Yahweh becoming Abraham. And so, so it's this idea that the covenant between God and Abram is something that was going to transform their relationship. And there was sort of this really serious mutual protection pact. And that was really important. So the next point I have here is that breaking a covenant was actually really bad. If you broke a covenant, it was punishable by death. Again, ancient times, very brutal. We can't read it through a 21st century lens. But this is how things worked. It, uh, breaking a, a covenant was uh, punishable by death. And I'm going to try to explain this really quickly because I could go into tons of detail, but I don't want to. You ever heard the phrase cutting a deal? It's actually a, a derivation of the idea of cutting a covenant. Why was it called cutting a covenant? That If we break down the Hebrew language, it means cutting a covenant. Why is that? Well, because what you did was you would take an animal, sacrifice it. You'd actually cut it in half and spread the pieces on the ground and you would pass through the two halves of that animal. That's how you would cut a covenant. And we actually read about this in, in Genesis chapter 15. So the Lord said to him, to Abram, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. I'm not sure why that was worth noting, but apparently there's probably something about birds that I'm missing. Um, the birds he did not cut in half. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. So the way that you would make this covenant is you would cut these animals apart and you would pass through them and walk through them for a couple of reasons. But one of the main ones was to symbolically say, if I break this covenant, may this be what happens to me. Like literally you can cut me in half. You can kill me if I break this covenant. 
But what's fascinating about the story here in Genesis is that God says to Abram, okay, take the animals, cut them apart, he lays them out, and then Abraham falls asleep. Abraham never walks through. Abraham doesn't actually make his end of the promise. God goes through twice. God goes through as a smoking fire pot and then as a torch, as if to say, Abraham, if I break this covenant, may I be killed in this way. But Abraham, if you break this covenant, may I be killed in this way. God is sort of taking on both sides of that covenant punishment. And again, reading through the lens of Jesus, we can see how in the future, Jesus actually fulfills this covenant by being the uh, uh, ambassador of God, being God in the flesh and taking on that punishment of death for Abraham and his descendants' failure to keep the covenant, right? So this is the idea. So the cool part here is that when Abraham fell asleep, God pledged both sides of the covenant. So we have this idea of the covenant, this agreement made between God and Abraham and all of God's descendants, okay? Jesus, we're going to see in a moment, fulfills that. And hopefully you kind of already tracking with me. But we want to talk now about the law. Let's move on to the law. Because Jesus says a lot that I have come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. So what exactly does that mean? Well, the law, important to know historically, came about 500 years after the covenant. So God made this deal with Abraham and said, you be my people, I will be your God. And things kind of went on and it got a little dicey. And so eventually God was like, you know, maybe I need to be a wee bit more specific. So here, here's actually what I mean when I say, be faithful to me. So uh, in the time of Moses, Moses received the law from God and wrote them down on tablets, and you've heard the story, and then he got mad, and he smashed the tablets, and then there was like version 2.0 when he did the tablets again, and then they put the tablets and the pieces and all the stuff in the Ark of the Covenant, and then Indiana Jones came, and then, wait, no, that's something else. Um, so, so the covenant became the law. It was the law of the covenant. That's why it's called the Ark of the Covenant, right? Because the law and the covenant were, were sort of synonymous. The covenant actually became manageable and, and, and tangible by, by the law, Okay. Here's what Paul says, though. Paul says that the law was actually given to us as a babysitter. Very interesting. He, he uses the word, he doesn't use the word babysitter. He uses the word custodian. But it's, it's a temporary guardianship is what the language that he's using. Paul says that you received the law. We received the law to just keep us safe, to take care of us until Jesus came. The law was kind of a, a temporary guardian, a placeholder to make sure we didn't wander too far off of this obedient path. Because the covenant was important. God wanted us to keep the covenant. God wanted Abram's people, Abraham's people to keep the covenant. So the next thing it's important to know is that Jesus came. And this is what Paul says. Uh, if you want to check this out, this is in Galatians uh, chapter 3. Um, he says, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. The promise being what God promised in the covenant. So the law doesn't nullify the promise. So why was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, that's Jesus, the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith to, that, uh, that was to come would be revealed. Here's the important part. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So the idea is that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the requirements of the law by being perfectly obedient to the covenant. So 
Interestingly, I just said a minute ago that Jesus was God in the flesh and he took on the punishment for breaking the law. But he also, as a human being, fully and and completely human being, fulfilled what God asked Abraham and his people to do by being that perfect Israelite. So he fulfilled the, the human end of the bargain and then he also took on the punishment for the people who had failed to keep the covenant. So he did all of that in himself. So that's how he fulfills the law, the covenant first, and he fulfills the law. So then let's talk about the prophets. Where do the prophets factor in? Well, the prophets, um, remember how I said, so the covenant was how God started, and then things got dicey, so God said, maybe I need to be more specific. So he gave some specific rules. Well, guess what happened? People weren't paying attention to the rules anymore either. So the prophets step in, and the prophets are actually the voice of God. They are the voice of God speaking to the Israelites and basically saying, hey, keep the law. You're messing up. You're getting off track. The prophets spoke continually to the people of God, and they were essentially, you can go to the next one, they were essentially um, in covenant enforcement. They were like God's bouncers. They, they were like, here's the law. you got to keep the law, and if you don't keep the law, this bad stuff's going to keep happening to you. That was the voice of the prophets over and over and over again. So what we see is that Jesus fulfills even the need for the prophets because Jesus comes as a great prophet, Uh, We sort of see that he is the heir apparent to Moses and Elijah when he goes up onto the hill and the three tabernacles and all the things, um, the transfiguration. So Jesus is the heir apparent. He is a prophet to proclaim not judgment for breaking the law, but he is a prophet to now proclaim freedom, grace. The kingdom of God is now at hand. So let's move on to the next part. So this is Jesus. This is sort of how Jesus fulfills the covenant, the law, and the prophets. So we can move on to the next one. So he says, as far as the covenant goes, in Luke 22, he is having a last supper with his disciples before he goes and offers himself on the cross. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Not to be missed. When you come to the table, as we do every Sunday, you are partaking in this, uh, this rite, this this honoring of this moment when jesus says the old covenant and the bloodshed that had to do with that is gone i am the new covenant my blood is the new covenant and that's what he was talking about here so we can go on Uh, he also says do not think i have come to abolish the law or prophets i have not come to abolish them but fulfilled them we read that earlier and then what do i have next okay yeah before we get to that so um I, I also want to point out here that, that there are some other things that, that Jesus mentions about law and prophets, one of my favorites. Um, when someone asks him, hey, what's the most important commandment, right? Somebody who is stuck on the idea of law. What, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Well, the most important commandment, he says, is, and you might know this, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this, uh, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then do you remember what he says right after that, if you've read this before? He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is teaching us the law and the prophets can be summed up by love God and love others. If we live in the way of love, then we are not concerned anymore with the law and the prophets. All right? So, we can go on to the next thing now. What this means for us. First, We get the blessings of the covenant without needing to keep the law because Jesus already kept the law for us. Now, 
Some of you might be getting nervous at this point because now you're thinking to myself, wait a minute. Is he saying that we can do whatever we want? That's never something I've heard at church before. Church is about where I go to be told what I'm doing wrong and be told that I'm bad because I'm doing the things that I shouldn't be doing. And, um, you know, I, I teach on a college campus and just about every college campus I've been to has a particular spot on the campus where there are those campus preachers anybody been to a college campus where you got a guy who stands up and he tries to preach at all the young students passing by and i'm always astounded every single time i walk by their primary message is how sinful you are you're terrible you're dirt you're despicable you're horrible and why is that because most of the time in church we focus on the fact that jesus forgives us of our sins which is true and very important but when we meet somebody who feels like, well, I'm not that bad, I don't really need forgiveness, then we think, oh, well, the only way I can convince them logically that they need forgiveness is to convince them that they're really terrible and they need to be forgiven. So a lot of those approaches to, to talking about Jesus begin with, you're terrible, you're despicable, you're awful, and now if you feel like a miserable worm, now I can offer you the hope and the grace of Jesus. But that's not how Jesus did it. That's not really what works. I'm not saying, to sum up here, I'm not saying that we can just do whatever we want without any consequences, right? Consequences from God are taken care of. There is now no condemnation, Paul says. There is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. That's over. But guess what? If I talk about somebody behind their back, that damages that relationship. And the consequences of that will be felt. If I'm unfaithful to my wife that creates pain and hurt and suffering and relationships. There's consequences there. So, so yeah, we don't really want to do those things. But there's an even better way to think about this. And that is that when we focus on the sin itself, when we focus on, oh, I can't do that and I can't do that and I can't do that, it, it's limiting. But if we focus on doing good in the world, that actually grows and amplifies if you feel that you've been forgiven, that you've been given grace by God, by your neighbor, by your spouse, then it makes you want to be more loving and generous and kind to others. And it's like the old sort of pay it forward thing, right? Like when you realize this goodness of God, this forgiveness of God comes to you, you want to go out and do good things and not create brokenness and pain, but create wholeness and shalom and peace. That's how this works. So the reason we don't have to worry about keeping the law is because God has already done that. He has taken care of the consequences and he has taken care of fulfilling the law so that we can focus on doing the good things that we need to do without worrying about the consequences of breaking the law. Does that make sense? It's a delicate balance here, but we have to understand that we have now been freed by Jesus to go and do good things. So the second thing here is that now we can focus on building the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven those are familiar words right that's the prayer that we pray when we say our father building God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven now we can worry less about fulfilling the law and worry more about creating the kingdom of God do you know in Matthew this is a whole other sermon series Keith we need to do on the idea of the kingdom in Matthew he uses the word kingdom I have it here 54 times Matthew says the word kingdom because the Gospel of Matthew is all about showing that the kingdom of God has come into being. The kingdom of God is here now. So, so what does that mean? What do I have next? 
kingdom. What is the kingdom? Jesus says this. He says, the law and the prophets, over here, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. He's talking about John the Baptist who came right before him. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing their way, way into it. They can't wait to get in. They're trying to break in. Why? Because it was good news. We're about to start Advent I can't, in a week? Really? Two weeks, right. Brunch and then Advent. Crazy. When we start Advent, we're going to be talking about hope. Talking about hope. And a quick little plug, if you want to write something about hope, we'd love to include it in our little uh, booklet. You can pick up some information there in the back. We'd love to hear your words. Why do we talk about hope? Why do we talk about the good news? Because we no longer have to worry about the bad news of breaking the law. Now we focus on the good news of the kingdom. Building the kingdom. Creating a place where there is less suffering. Creating a place where people are more free to love one another and do the work of God. And create shalom, this peace that we want to have. So I think if we're going to sum up the kingdom, um, yeah, there we go. Next one. The kingdom summed up, I summed it up in two ways. This is my shorthand. There's a lot more that goes into this, but I think number one, it's love. Jesus says it over and over and over again. He says love. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my command. And then a couple of verses later, he says, oh yeah, and by the way, this is my command, love one another. Creating a kingdom of God is creating a kingdom of love where we love one another, where people love one another. And the next thing I think is the end of suffering. And there are lots of ways to say this. We talk a lot about shalom here, wholeness, making people whole. We talk about reconciliation, reconciling one to another. In fact, our whole mission as a church, we talk about three aspects of that. Reconciling people to God, to Jesus rather, reconciling people to one another, and reconciling people to God's redemptive work in the world. The kingdom of God is a place where we love one another, but we work to end the suffering of others. And we do it through the power of Jesus. So that's really, really important to understand. All right, and next, here's, here's our to-do list. I'm trying to make this applicable now. So that was a lot of theology, a lot of like head stuff of like, okay, well, that's great, Dwayne, but what does that actually mean? So here's, here's what I think we can do. I think first of all, we can stop worrying about breaking God's law. I think most of us are probably at a point where we're more comfortable with this now, but I know many of us have church backgrounds where this was a struggle. We were, we were really given sort of guilt complexes where we felt bad about the things we were not doing or the things we were doing that might have been wrong. And I think the point of this, Jesus fulfilled the covenant. He fulfilled the law and, and uh, eliminated the need for the prophets because we've been forgiven. The price has been paid and the way has been cleared. So we don't need to, to worry about all the things we can't do anymore. So Anybody who's a Harry Potter fan, you probably know there's um, the, the evil dark wizard. His name is Voldemort. And all throughout the Harry Potter series, what do they always say? They don't say his name, right? They say, he who must not be named. And then there's at one point, I forget in which book, Melanie could tell me probably, but um, it, 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 at one point in one of the books, uh, Hermione, one of the main characters, says, well, if we're paying so much attention to not saying the name, aren't we giving that more power than it really deserves? Aren't we, maybe I'm making that up, did she not? I think somewhere in there, is, anyway, yeah, thanks, thanks for humoring me. So the idea of, of being so concerned about not saying Voldemort, you're actually giving it more power than it deserves. That's kind of how I feel about sin. The more we talk about sin, the more power we're giving it. It doesn't have power over our lives anymore. So name it, name it. Say, you know what? I was selfish in that moment. Sorry, God, sorry, person to, I, to whom I hurt. Like, you know, name it. And move on. 
The more time we spend obsessing and worrying about breaking God's law, the less time we have for doing good in the world. So I think this is an important to-do item. So we need to stop worrying about that. And then the second one is start focusing on love in the kingdom. Now, this can feel a little bit obligatory. This can start to feel guilt-inducing, right? If you're thinking to yourself, well, gee, I just don't love enough, and gee, maybe I'm not really building the kingdom. And that's not what I'm getting at here. Again, remember the freedom, the freedom that we have, because Jesus has abolished, not a, he has fulfilled, rather, not abolished, fulfilled the law and the prophets. We have freedom. And, and the idea of, of focusing on love in the kingdom is that because of the spirit of Jesus, because he gave us his spirit, we now literally have power to do that that we wouldn't have had before. We have power that we wouldn't have on our own. If we tap into that power, we can love better. We can build the kingdom more. It's just kind of the way this all works. Now, between the time I prepared this message and the time I walked on stage, I've been thinking a lot, just listening to our prayers this morning too, there's so much suffering right now. There's so much pain, so many people who are struggling, struggling emotionally, struggling spiritually, struggling financially, let's be real. Like, it's not an easy time right now. So all this great fluffy talk about love in the kingdom may seem hmm, pie in the sky. But for you to come into this place and connect with other followers of Jesus and share your struggles that's, that's building the kingdom. It's building love. Because you can help somebody else. Where, where you have a weakness, somebody else has a strength. And where you have a strength, somebody else has a weakness. That's one simple way. Connecting in community. Finding out what people's needs are. You can focus on love and building the kingdom. In your workplace, maybe even if you're struggling, maybe if there are things that aren't going well, if you can just be that bright moment, that bright spot in somebody's day, you're building love. And I'm not trying to minimize it or trivialize it because we really, we really do need to be thinking about building something that looks like the kingdom of God, the way he would want it, that where there is shalom and wholeness and fullness. But I don't want you to feel guilty about this. It doesn't have to be huge. You have to just tap into the power of the Spirit, which means you do need to be connecting with God in some way through prayer, through worship, through Scripture, and letting Jesus fill you so that you can, in his power, go out and spread love to others and build the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a place where there is peace and wholeness, where there is shalom, where there is less suffering, ultimately no more suffering. So that's a lot. I hope this makes sense. I wanted to kind of put an end piece on this idea of Jesus fulfilling all these different things and all these passages in Matthew when it says Jesus was the fulfillment of this or the fulfillment of that. When we talk about fulfillment, he's the fulfillment of it all. He took care of this. And just because I can in a symbolic way, I'm just going to erase this. And as you watch me erasing this, when my microphone comes off, I want you to think about these are gone. No more covenant, no more law, no more prophets. They've been fulfilled And now, it's just Jesus. The fulfillment of it all. So we lean into Jesus this season as we head into Advent and we think about hope. 
We're going to lean into Jesus, and we're going to lean into the idea of love and building the kingdom of God.